All right, church, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing our series of considering different questions about our commitment level. We started with the question of, are you committed to Christ? Last week, we considered the question, are you committed to prayer? This morning, I want us to consider the question, are you committed to worship? Before we get there, and before we get to Romans chapter 12, there's some other things that I want to kind of walk through with you this morning. Let's start with a different type of question. My question being, who or what is the center of your universe? Is it you or is it God? Are you more focused on serving God and obeying all the things that he has commanded us? Or are you more focused on pursuing your own dreams and following after your own agenda in life? Another way to phrase it, who's your king? Is it you? Or is it the Lord? Here's the thing. We freely say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But let me ask you, is he really? Is he really Lord and Savior in your life. Let's start with the concept of Savior. I think we can understand and embrace that one a little bit easier. Paul writes, and he tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So, so Paul says to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, that word confess, it's not, it's not enough just to state a fact. It's not enough to give uh, some type of mental acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. That word confess, in, in the Greek, it is a, in the verb tense, is a present verb. And so to confess means that it's not just saying that Jesus is Lord in a general sense. What it's saying is that Jesus is Lord on a personal level. He's not just Lord in general, but he's Lord more specifically to to us in our own lives. And so, have you confessed that Jesus is not just a Lord or the Lord, but your Lord? Have you done that? Have you confessed? Notice I didn't say, have you been baptized? I didn't ask if you've joined the church. Nor did I ask if you've said the sinner's prayer. Saying the sinner's prayer doesn't actually guarantee that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that you have to pray a particular prayer in order to be saved. Praying the sinner's prayer simply means that you have the ability to follow instructions. The word tells us to confess, to acknowledge, to realize that you put yourself under the subjugation of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Confession is an expression of a changed life. Now don't misunderstand me. That expression can come in the form of a prayer, but it's not limited to that form. So confession is an expression of, of a changed life that's proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and not just any Lord, 
Jesus is your Lord. In other words, he's your king, your boss, your commander, your leader. And because we recognize who he is, then we are to submit ourselves unto him. We're to give him control over who we are and what we do. We're to live our lives in complete submission unto him. And when we do that, <laughs> that is worship. That's worship. Living our lives under the complete submission of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to worship. Worship is not something that's limited to where we go on a Sunday morning. Worship isn't something that's limited to an hour or an hour and a half or is contained within uh, the structure of singing a few songs. Worship is about who we are and how we live our lives. So let me ask you, do you know that Jesus is referred to as Lord more than 600 times in Scripture? More than 600 times. He's referred to as Savior uh, only around 15 times. So he's referred to Lord more than 600. He's referred to Savior more than 15, which means for every verse that we can find proclaiming Jesus as Savior, there are more than 40 verses that we could go to that talk about Jesus as Lord or the Lordship over our lives. But have you ever wondered why we put so much emphasis on Jesus as Savior instead of putting more emphasis on Jesus being Lord? Could it be that we're more comfortable with the benefits of salvation than we are with the requirements of submission? And how we live our lives reveal what we truly believe about Jesus. And genuine faith is seen and living an obedient and transformed life. I'm here to tell us that it's time for us to put our faith into action. It's time for us to demonstrate that we have confessed Jesus as Lord. Another way to say it, you might not like it, but it's quite to the point. Another way to say it is it's time for us to put up or shut up. Let me tell you, that's quite biblical, by the way, too. <laughs> oh, I'll give you the reference. You're like, oh, no, it's not. Pat. Yeah, it is. Check it out. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24 says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. So God hates worship by people who are just going through the motions. It's not enough to praise Him with our mouths when we don't obey Him with our lives. God despises the praise of the hypocrite. And God desires righteous obedience. That's worship. That's what it means to worship. And so since worship is so much more than just the singing of a few songs, since worship is the totality of who we are and what we do, 
I'd like for us to consider how our commitment to Christ affects our worship. So you have your scriptures open to Romans chapter 12. Let me read a couple of verses. In these two verses, we're going to find four truths. We begin in verse number one. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, let's start with the very first truth that we come across, and that is the basis of our commitment. The basis of our commitment is contained right there in the opening phrase of verse number one. The basis of commitment is the mercies of God. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. Now, specifically, Paul is talking about the mercies of God that have been spelled out in the previous 11 chapters. Chapters 1 and through chapter 11 contain some deep theological content, all of which kind of culminates at the very last verse of chapter 11, where he writes, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So, so Paul lays out some deep theological content in chapters 1 through 11. It culminates in this beautiful doxology, which then transitions into how we practice or how we apply this to our lives. This is the same pattern that Paul uses when he writes to the church in Ephesus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, from verses 1 through, I'm sorry, from chapter 1 through chapter 3, we see some theological content that he's addressing and identifying. Then you get to chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. We see another beautiful doxology. And there he writes and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So same pattern, he gives us theology, it culminates in this doxology, and then it leads to practice or how we apply it to our lives. Because Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, the transition says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So for the committed Christian, there is a unity that's contained with our theology doxology and the application of it which means our doctrine doxology and duty are intrinsically connected to each other which means that the greater the comprehension that we have over who God is and what he has done then the greater our commitment to him should be immense vision will bring about immense commitment. That's what Isaiah Watts had in mind when he penned those words to the hymn that we just sang. And he said, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And Paul's not suggesting or making a, a recommendation to us when he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Rather, he, he, he's 
pointing to an obligation that we have in our lives. It says we are obligated to think about what God has done for us, to think about who He is, and then we're obligated to make our commitment unto Him accordingly. So we have the basis of commitment, which is the mercies of God, and then we transition from there and we see the character of our commitment. The character of our commitment is given the last half of the verse. And it says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this commitment has uh, two prominent characteristics. It is total and it is reasonable. That's how our commitment is, is described. It should be total and it is the reasonable response to have. The totality of commitment comes dramatically to us in the language of sacrifice. It says we're told to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so it's clear to see that the Greek verb translated to present is a technical term that's used for the ritual presentation of a sacrifice. It's all sacrificial language. And so then to present what? It says to present your bodies. When we talk about your bodies, we're talking about more than just the, your skin and, and bones. We're talking about uh, everything that you are. The totality of who you are. I mean, give it all to God. And what do we give to Him? What do our bodies represent? It represents a sacrifice. That word sacrifice reminds us of the reality that whatever is offered unto Him is completely consumed. And so we see the Old Testament picture of, of, of sacrificial gifts. And we're given this picture, and we see the sacrificial language, and then it goes on to describe the sacrifice as being living, holy, and acceptable. Which is good news for us. The reason why that's good news is because the believer isn't killed like Old Testament sacrifices would have been. We live. But we're to be a living sacrifice and that term and that phrase has some deep theological um, content within it. See, we're a living sacrifice in the sense that uh, we, we represent that the fact that there has been a death that has occurred in our lives. And no longer are we the old way or the old person, but we've been given new life. And that's what Scripture tells us. In Romans chapter 6, verse number 4, Paul writes and he says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is a beautiful picture of baptism. And when we lower them down into the water, I typically say, buried in the likeness of Christ. And when we bring them up out of the, the water, I will often say, raised to walk in the newness of life. That's the sacrificial language. That's the picture that's happening here. We don't just sacrifice a little bit of our lives. We give them all of it. So we're called to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice. Just, just 
condense that down to a simple statement that the holy sacrifice means that we have renounced our sin and we've now been set apart by God and for the glory of God. That's what it means to be holy. And then acceptable. That word means well-pleasing. It means to be approving. Extremely satisfying to God. I want you to know that God accepts and rejoices over the one that has dedicated and committed themselves to live wholly, completely unto God. And I want you to understand that this is as bold a call to commitment that you'll find anywhere in the scriptures. And in fact, you need to understand that this call to commitment applies equally to everyone. So we've got to get past this mentality that exists, that, that uh, commitment levels vary from people to people. Or that there's a difference between the commitment expectations from clergy or the congregation. No, it applies equally to all. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or you're a professional. You could be a homemaker or a high schooler. The, this, this call to commitment applies universally to all who trust and believe in the Lord. All of us have been called to a full commitment unto Christ. And so for Paul, true worship is connected to total commitment. And total commitment is the only, only rational response that we can make when we truly see who God is and what he has done for us. And so having seen the basis and the character of our commitment in verse number one, we now begin to see the demands of commitment in the first part of verse number two. Look at verse two. The demands is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Notice that there's two commands. There's a negative and then there's the positive. The negative command says, do not be conformed to the world. And then the positive command says, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So these are the two sides of commitment. Let's start with the negative. What does it mean when he says, do not be conformed to this world? Well, the phrase that I just read, this world, from the ESV, is actually a combination of two Greek words in the original manuscript. And one of those Greek words uh, would have been the word sima, which we get our word scheme. And the other word would have been aeon, uh, which we get our word uh, age, uh, like this present age, this present time period. And so what Paul is saying to us, he's saying, do not be conformed to the schemes of this passing evil age, because this age is dominated by Satan. So he's saying, do not be conformed. Like, like, like don't, don't fall prey to it. Because this, this age is passing. It is evil. So we must be careful on what we do. We must be careful on what we watch. We must be careful on what we read. We must be careful on what we listen to. Because the outside influence will try to conform us to an image or to embrace a worldview that is contrary to the word of God. So don't do it. Do not be conformed. 
That's the negative. So then you look at the positive, and the positive side tells us to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the Greek verb that's been translated as by the renewal of our mind, and the renewal of the mind works through the working of the Holy Spirit that releases the power within us to correct our thinking, to correct our ways, so that we can live a life of obedience unto him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18 declares, and it says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I share that verse with you to understand that what's really happening is that if the world controls your thinking, then you've been conformed. But if God controls your thinking, amen, you're being transformed into the image, into the likeness of his son. And we're not all transformed at the same pace of one to another. Some of us are a little bit further along than others. We need to be patient. We need to be kind. We need to be loving. And not just be so quick to dismiss people. Well, they say they're a believer, but can you believe the foolish thing that they did or what they're, what they're saying? Or, or, you know, just understand that we're being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And that's good news. And so we have the basis of commitment, which is the mercies of God. The character of commitment is our total commitment to God. It's the totality of the commitment. The demands of commitment means that we're to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. And then we see the effect of commitment or the result of commitment. So back to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So something beautiful is happening here. A committed life has the power to perceive what the will of God is. While the the careless and the uncommitted, while they'll live their lives in confusion as to what the will of God is, the committed believer will know God's will. Not only that, they'll, they'll discover not only the will of God, but they'll discover that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And how they do that? They do that by testing and, and so that they can discern what the will of God is. And that word discern, it means to both find and to follow. It's not just to know for knowledge's sake. It is knowing and applying it to your life. The question becomes, then, then how can a person ever find discover or know the will of God if their mind is not focused on being renewed by by the working of the Holy Spirit they can't how can a person whose mind is not being renewed or focused upon God how can that person ever follow or obey or do the will of God they can't The only conceivable way that a person can find and follow after God's will is to focus and to keep their mind upon God and the things of God. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work within them 
to transform who they are. So as a committed believer, as they're being transformed in their mind, they're being made more and more into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And as a result, they're able to discern the will of God. And as they discern the will of God, they can also discover that God's will is good for them. That God's will is acceptable unto him. And that God's will is perfect in every way. The threefold description of the will of God ought to stir within us a deep desire for transformation. When we say that God's will is good, what we're saying is that the will of God is beneficial, it's rich, it's bountiful, it's suitable. When we say that God's will is acceptable, what we're saying is that his will is pleasing, it's satisfactory, it is welcome. When we say that God's will is perfect, what we're saying is that the will of God is without error, there's no mistakes, it's flawless, it's complete, it's absolute, it is free from any need, it's short of absolutely nothing. God's will, good, acceptable, and perfect. And so in view of God's mercies, and in light of the grace that is extended unto us, total commitment is the only logical response that we ought to have unto him. Are you all in? You've given him all of your life. That's what it means to worship. From church to church, from place to place, we see so many people that are so distracted with things that we call worship wars. Familiar with that? It's just foolishness. What we're saying is I have a personal preference to the style or to the type of music that I like, and I sit in judgment and condemnation on anyone else who, who likes a different style or tempo than I do. You think it really offends God that his children are singing praises unto him and sometimes they use an organ, sometimes they use a piano, or sometimes they play the guitar and bang the drums and have the keyboard and have the electric and the bass. You think God's up in heaven and think, oh, no, there they go again. <laughs> Why do we? Why do we? You realize that this time of gathering to worship, really, it's not about you in the sense that we're not trying to, like, please you. It's about pleasing the Father completely. And as we gather together and we seek to please the Father and worship Him, we worship Him through singing songs. We worship Him by giving our tithes and offerings. We worship Him by making appropriate response decisions in light of what the Scriptures have revealed unto Him. It's all worship, not just one little segment of it. So will you worship? 
We worship him, and may our worship services now extend beyond an hour and a half. May our worship service now be 168 hours every single week as long as God should give us time to live. And you'll be glad to know that our worship services, when we come together, hey, at least you're going to get out of here a little bit before noon and beat everybody else out to lunch, and that's cool. But really, I joke around with that just because I love to give Pastor Bubba a hard time. And I know that he's watching and he's listening to the messages and it just gives me a little bit opportunity to... But don't worry about it. I, I've told you from the very beginning, this first several weeks, I just want to go a little bit light, a little introdu- introduce some things to you so that we can get settled in and really begin to dig into God's Word. Because after we finish our series of Are, are, are We Committed, we're going to dive deep into uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to go verse by verse, however long it takes us to really understand what that book has to say to us today. And so, But until then, we're going to consider some other things. We're going to consider what, uh, what is our commitment when it comes, yes, to worship today, but when it comes to witnessing, to sharing our faith. When it comes to our financial giving and how, what that represents to us and in our lives, we're going to deal with those topics as well. And in the meantime, we're going to have fun along the way. We're going to relax. You're going to laugh at my shoes when you see me every week. And I'm going to be all right with that because I'm, I'm okay with who I am. And I'm happy. These are my happy shoes today. Because it's church, it's Sunday, but I've got my wife and my son here where they were here. Apparently, they got tired of listening to me, and they've already left. So, with that being said, are you committed to worship? More than just our gathering today, are you committed to live your life in faithful obedience to what God has to say to us? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to do that metamorphous change in your life by renewing your mind on the things that please Him? Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. God, I thank you for your word and how it speaks truth into our lives. And today, Father, I hope that we have a different perspective and view on what worship is. I hope we feel the challenge to understand that worship isn't about music, it's about our lives. And God, may we live in total faithfulness unto you. And as we enter into this uh, time of invitation, whatever decisions that need to be made or prayers that need to be sought, I pray that we would take care of that right here, right now. To you be the glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.